Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there. So my guest today is longtime friend of the podcast Chris Gillibo. Chris has been in the show a number of times where we explore his backstory, his long journey to visit every country in the world. Today, I invited him back because I wanted to talk about this word that keeps coming up over and over again and how it might play a meaningful role in the pursuit of a life well-lived. What is that word or that phrase? It's side hustle. What exactly is this thing that keeps coming up in conversation, that keep hearing about it? I figured I'd turn to Chris because he's not only lived a life of many side hustles, he has, for the last two and a half years, produced a podcast where he has interviewed and told the stories of, I think, more than 900 different people who have pursued just a universe of different types of side hustles and really deconstructed what makes them work and how to approach doing it. He also has a beautiful new book out, which is kind of a cookbook of 100 side hustles. It's literally called 100 Side Hustles. So I wanted to sit down with Chris 
and deconstruct exactly what this thing is right now. Maybe do a little bit of myth busting also, and then explore a whole bunch of stories of how people have done this from all walks of life. And that is exactly where we go in today's conversation. So excited to share it with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Uh, so good to be hanging out with you again back in the studio. So I'm thinking maybe you have been my guest who's been here more than anybody else at this point. <laughs> wow. I feel honored. No, uh, I feel honored. Um, it's kind of fun because every time we come back, I'm kind of like exploring your new adventures, like way back in the day in the beginning. And for everybody listening, we'll link to some of the earlier episodes with, of course, where you can really dive into the backstory. Um, traveled, hit every country in the world, has written a, a series of amazing books. But the reason I asked you back this time is there's sort of this interesting confluence between a couple of different things. One is for the last, was it two, two and a half years now, you've been doing side hustle school? Yeah, just about. Right. So that so, so it's a phenomenal podcast where I, literally every day, which blows my mind that you're doing this every day for so long, um, you're sharing the stories about people who have this quote thing called side hustles, which we're going to dive into. And then you come out with a book featuring all these different stories. And then the third thing that really sort of said, okay, so let's actually go deep into this because it made me really curious was not too long ago, we had in the studio Marcus Buckingham, hmm. who certainly rose to fame as a guy behind strengths and uh, developed a big consulting company. He's now the head of research at ADP. And ADP has just done this big study, and Marcus was sharing this with, with us in the studio, where they looked at the satisfaction in three different cases. One was somebody who just had a full-time job. That's the way they earned their living. Mm -hmm. The other was somebody who had sort of a blend of freelance jobs, no one main thing. And the third condition was somebody who had a full-time job and then they had this, you know, like thing on the side. And he said, the research showed pretty clear hmm. that the happiest person was that third case. And that really surprised me, but mm -hmm. you're nodding your head. Like that's not a big surprise at all for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, people start these kinds of projects for all sorts of reasons. And, and I think one of them is it's not just money. I mean, money is very important. We can talk about that, but um, it, it's also this like different creative outlet or like I've got this day job and maybe I like that job, as you said, I find some purpose and meaning in it. Uh, but that job, you know, by itself doesn't define me. You know, maybe I'm part of some organization or company and I've got this role, but I also have this really creative side that I don't get to express. And so that's what I'm going to do for my side hustle. That's what I'm going to do for my extra thing. So I think to me, it kind of points to, you know, the fact that, that we as humans have more than one interest and we have like more than one thing that we're into, but you know, traditionally people have just done one thing. And so um, just being able to mix it up is good, I think. Yeah, it was interesting to me also because the different, because he differentiated between not just a full-time job and nothing mm -hmm. else um, and a full-time job right. and a side hustle, but also sort of like a blend of side hustles mm -hmm. versus a full-time thing and a right. side no, hustle. Right, no, that's interesting, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess for me, I've always had kind of a blend of side hustles, but it, you know, it, over time it became more and more thematic. Like it's kind of all linked together in some way. Yeah. So I guess I feel like I have a little bit of a day job in that, in that regard, which is weird. You've now spent so many years talking to so many people who mm -hmm. have done this. Do you find that the pattern is that um, there is sort of like a common story between the main thing and the side thing or the side thing is more often just completely divergent or is there nothing really that you can sort of pull there, from There's a range. Yeah. I mean, there's a range, there's a spectrum. I do think it's it's more common for the for the side hustle to be either like an offshoot 
of the, the main thing or something that is totally different as opposed to just like, this is what I do for my day job. Like the, the example is like the accountant who does people's taxes at night. That's usually a way to get burnt out pretty quickly, right? Because you're doing the same kind of stuff, you know? But I talked to this guy in Dubai who's an accountant by day. And um, what does he do? He's uh, he's like a poet. He like puts on poet poetry festivals, actually gets paid to do that, which, you know, is a story by itself. So I, I think it tends to be more of a, this is my main thing. This is my side thing. And there's either no connection or it's like a loose, a loose connection because you are exploring something that's different. Yeah. So this is the reason that I wanted you to come back because there's this fascinating tie-in to being fully expressed and to being satisfied with the work that you do in the world and with your contribution. And um, there are kind of a couple of things that I want to dive into you and we're going to explore some stories, but I wanted to start a bit larger too, because well, first, you know, we're, we immediately just started throwing this term around, right, side hustle. Right, right. Let's define what that actually is, because sure, I think sure. a lot of people use it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I mean, so I often start with what it's not, at least to me. It's, you know, side hustle is not just a part-time job. It's not just like, oh, I've got this, you know, 40-hour-a-week thing, and then I go and work somewhere else. Um, it's not the gig economy. It's not driving for Uber or Lyft or whatever, because um, that's not really going to help you get ahead. But the way that, that we look at it on the show is, it, you know, side hustle is an income generating project um, that has the potential to become an asset for you. So something that can actually help you increase your security, increase your options for the future um, so that you can do more of what's important to you. Uh, maybe even have the potential to earn money while you're sleeping or doing something else uh, so that you can get to that place where you're like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, do I want to continue you know, with the day job, the career? Do I want to go all in with the side hustle or do I want to have a, have a blend? Those are good problems to have once you get to that point. Yeah. Do you find that most side hustles are started as more of a test of an idea that maybe, quote, hopefully one day you'll be able to step into full time or that they're just kind of like, no, I'm good with, you know, if, if it just lets me express myself on the side, maybe gives me a little bit of money. I'm, I'm actually good with that. Yeah, I think there's both. I mean, there's, there's uh, so I said it's a range and a spectrum, but it's like there, there are a few clear paths. And, you know, one path is that person who is pretty discontented with their job and frustrated and really wants to make a big change. But for whatever reason, they can't make that change right away. They can't just like quit their job and quote unquote, be an entrepreneur, you know, and this whole project is not for people who, you know, want to be entrepreneurs, full stop. Um, so you have that person who's like wanting to make a change, but really needs an off ramp, really needs to kind of replicate their day job income, or at least get close to it before they can do it. Uh, then you got the, the person who's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at right now. But I also understand in the world that we live in, I have to look out for myself. I have to create my own security. So I want to build something so that I, again, I have the choice, you know, if the job situation ever changes also, like a, the job is good now, but what if it changes in a year? What if my company downsizes? What if something like that happens? You know, I want to be able to have something different. So, and you also got people that are like, you know, have a short-term goal of, I had all this student loan debt or I have some other kind of debt, credit card debt, whatever, and that's really bothering me. It's like a burden. It's, you know, it's preventing me from doing other things. It's always on my mind. So I want to find a way to pay that off quickly. So people kind of like, the thing I like about this whole project is people have different goals, you know, for why they want to do it, but like the path is the same, right? And so it's like, figure out what's important to you. Why are you doing this? And then let's figure out, you know, what are your skills? What are you interested in? How can we, you know, transform those things into something that can be apply to the money-making project. Yeah. And so apply to the money-making project is the fact that it does generate money, hmm. regardless of why you want to use yes. the money, a key sort of ingredient yes. there also. Yes. Um, at least in terms of what we look at at Side Hustle School, like what the book is about. 
Um, so obviously there's lots of things in life that you can do, you know, that have nothing Hobbies. to do with, yeah, yeah. have nothing to do with money. And that's great for, for a hobby, for love, for art, for whatever. But I'm specifically looking at economic empowerment. And so when I think about side hustle, yes, it is like a for-profit project. It can also have a social good component, and a lot of them do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's not only making the world a better place, it's also bringing something to you as well. Yeah. I, I mean, which brings up one of my other big questions around this. So in a past life, when I was leaving the practice of law. <laughs> <laughs> which feels like uh, I, you know, I 200 I, years ago. I know. Or I'm like, well, wait, when was I? That was a completely different person, right? I can't imagine it still. Um, neither can I in a weird way. So, you know, one of the things I did was I, I started running a, a whole bunch of tests. And one of the things I did was I started a little company where we were taking groups of people rock climbing. Um, I wasn't guiding the rock climbing part, but we take them mountain biking and hiking and bring them out to the outdoors and stuff like that. And, and one of the things I realized really quickly was I love to do this myself. Mm -hmm. I love to do it with friends. Mm -hmm. The minute I turned it into a, a thing where actually people were paying me money to do it mm -hmm. and it was my business, so much of the joy went out of it. Mm. Have you explored that at all? Or is there a risk of taking something? Um, there's always a risk. I mean, there's always a risk, but I find just as, just as often there are people who have never thought about getting paid for something and then uh, they've never imagined that they could actually. And then all of a sudden, the first time they get paid for that thing or whatever it is, and it's money coming in from a, that's apart from their paycheck, it can actually feel really empowering. You know, it can actually feel like, oh, this is actually something that I should have been doing a long time ago. This is good. So yes, I think there's a risk, but again, it falls into the category of like a good problem to have. So you do that. It's an experiment. Like you said, you're not making a life commitment, which is another thing I like about this whole process is people get really, really hung up over like, what idea should I choose? And then they get hung up over it for so long that they never choose anything. And so it's something I always say at these events I've been doing, it's like, you're, you're, not, you're not making this lifelong commitment here. Choose something for 30 days. And then at the end of the time, if you realize, oh, actually, I'd, I'd rather just do that thing for fun, then great. Then choose something else for your side hustle. Yeah, which I think a lot of people really love. <laughs> because we live in a time where we're like, I don't want to commit to anything. There's a massive sure. FOMO. Uh -huh. But I think that's, I'm, I mean, I wonder if that's, also a challenge, right? Because you're like, okay, so I have the freedom. I don't have to commit to it, which means mm -hmm. it's easier for me to start and try this. Sure. Because like I, if I go into it saying, this is not me for life, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to play and see what happens. That's great. And at the same time, anything that I've ever seen succeed takes a certain amount of grit, you know, right. takes a certain yeah. amount of, okay, so at some point stuff's going to get hard mm -hmm. <laughs> and that may happen really quickly. Sure. And if, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the hard that comes just in the natural process that you move mm -hmm. through and the hard, which is telling you this isn't right. And I got to bail on this and try the next experiment. Well, that's why you commit for 30 days. Yeah. That's why you commit for a bit. So again, it's not a lifetime commitment, but I think within 30 days, you're going to have data. You're going to, you're going to have some results or some outcome. You're going to see how it feels when you lead that guided tour or that hike or whatever it is, you know, within 30 days, you know, anybody can have a website up with some kind of offer, some kind of product or service. Within 30 days, anybody can experiment with all sorts of reselling or creating a different type, kind of service or whatever. So I think like, you'll get the information by committing for a short, relatively short period of time that, again, might not tell you like all the information you need for the rest of your life, but it will tell you, like, is this the right thing to move forward with for now? Yeah. You know? So if you've got like m multiple ideas, that's the best thing to do. If you've got multiple ideas, just pick one of them and do that for a while and then, you know, change to something else if it's not working. Yeah. Is, is there... um 
beyond the specific idea, beyond the sort of like skills that you might need for this exact thing, is there, have you seen, um, now seeing such a, a huge cross section of mm-hmm. people are doing this, like a common set of skills or traits across everybody that is really intelligent to either have or cultivate to make this succeed? Yes. Um, and I, I think the first thing is a sense of curiosity, like a sense of curiosity or just the power of observation, which are all skills or, or traits that can be learned, but you don't actually, there's no, like you don't learn that in school, right? You don't learn the power of observation in school, but just by noticing and paying attention, exploring your curiosity, oh, could I actually make money, you know, doing this thing? Nobody's ever thought of this, you know, before. We might look at some of the stories in the book and it's kind of like that. It's like, you can't imagine that people would make money with that, but somebody wondered if they could. So curiosity, you know, the sense of observation and then the willingness to do something about it, right? The willingness to act because you can be curious about lots of stuff. You know, the average person on the street, if you stop them, they have some kind of business idea, but most people don't actually take that first step. So just being willing to ask what if, I think, I think that's a good thing. It's like, what if? And a lot of the stories that we feature on the show, you know, are from people who are like, hmm, what if? Never thought that I could get paid to do X or whatever, but let me try. Yeah. Do, I mean, building on that, it's, do you find that the, um, the level of investment or stakes um, plays a role too? Yeah. And I think, um, so the whole point of a side hustle is keep the stakes low, you know, keep the level of investment low, you know, spend as little money as possible. Definitely don't borrow money. Definitely don't go into debt. Um, And so I think, People are often concerned about risk and people are like, I'm not sure I can make a risky decision right now. Well, don't make a risky decision. Like, I really believe everyone is an expert at something. That's kind of a principle that's come through over the past couple of years. Everybody has something. They already have some skill, some knowledge, some expertise, whether they learned it in school, whether they learned it through work, through a hobby, whatever that can be monetized in some way. And so it's really helpful to explore those things. And you can explore those things, again, without spending any money without making that, that commitment that feels overwhelming, without doing anything where the, where the stakes are too high, where they feel too high. Yeah, because I think that stops so many people before they're even getting going. So knowing you're going into it saying, it's almost like it's a litmus test, right? Mm-hmm. If this is a legit side hustle, then if you find yourself saying like, okay, so I'm gonna spend money on this, this, and this, it's almost like it's a red flag, like this is not the appropriate way to approach yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you have more than one idea, it's like, you know, if you have more than one idea, like I talk to people who want to start like a, a food-based business or something sometimes. And, you know, there's a lot of cost with that. There's a lot of cost. There's definitely a lot of risk, you know, with that kind of thing. So what I always say is like, is this your passion? Like, are you, is this the thing that you really, really believe in? And if the answer is yes, then obviously then the best path is to, is to move forward. Like if that's what you really believe in, great. You know, people are able to make that work. It's just hard. So if it's not your passion, if you're just like, no, I just had that idea. And I'll be, then I'll, you know, ask, what's your other idea? Like if, in other words, if you've got multiple ideas and you don't feel super strong toward any one of them, why not choose the one that, that's easier? Why not choose the one that's more feasible to move forward with? Yeah. Which, and I think people don't generally look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think they look at it? Because I think they're like, well, this is the one that's drawing me the most. This is one. But if, even if they don't, mm-hmm. I don't think people actually have a really solid framework on how mm-hmm. to decide between them mm-hmm. rather than, so the idea of just, well, we'll pick the one that's the easiest. Yeah. Well, they always want to know what's better, quote unquote, and better is an odd adjective, right? right. It's like, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? And you know, how much time do you have? You know, how important is it that this project make money right away versus, you know, a year from now or something? These are, these are questions that are more helpful to ask, I think, yeah. than just like, what's the best idea? What about the question, um, how much potential do you think these different ideas have? I think that's also, that's also on the same list of like profit potential. So you got right. feasibility, you've got motivation, 
you know, timeliness and then profit potential, right? Which is estimated, like you're not certain, of course. Yeah. But, but I mean, you... Because like anybody, any entrepreneur, any founder knows that any projections past like the first three months or so, even mm -hmm. then, very often it's just complete fiction. Sure. <laughs> so that's like, sure, sure. thank you now. Right. What about the other side of the psychological equation? So there's the side which says, I don't have money. Like I don't mm -hmm. have resources. I can't do this. I don't have time. I'm yeah. guessing is a big yeah. one also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then there's this sort of quote, fear of success thing. Well, what if this thing actually starts to really, <laughs> what if it gets bigger? What if it right. gets more successful? It's right. going to change my life. It's going to require me to invest more time. It's going to mm -hmm. like how I, and you know, like life is actually pretty good. I just want to be able to do this one kind of fun thing on the side and make a mm -hmm. bit of money. What if it really starts to get bigger? Like I don't, I, I, well, it doesn't have to, you know, well, so that's you can make a choice, right? right? You can make a choice. Uh, um, one of the things that's really fun about the show is a lot of our stories now are coming from listeners who were part of listening, you know, first year, second year, and have now started their projects. And um, there's this one project in particular, these two teachers, uh, one's in New York, one's in Connecticut. I think one is an elementary school teacher and one's a high school math teacher, if I'm not mistaken. And their project, um, after like exploring some different ideas, was to make tote bags. So they made these like teacher tote bags because they noticed that like every teacher they knew carried more than one bag to school every day. They've got their messenger bag, they've got their lunch bag, they've got their bag with papers that have been graded. And so like, why don't we make, you know, one tote bag to rule them all basically. And they went out and figured out how to do it. It's like, they don't, they don't have a business background. They just learned, you know, how to make the bags, how to distribute, how to promote, et cetera. And this really took off. Um, they just started it last year and it, it's already a six figure business. Like in the first year, more than a hundred thousand dollars, they're teachers, you know. So, so their full-time job are still yeah, teachers. Yeah, right. right. But now they're in the place. Um, so first of all, it's a tremendous success, you know, and it just kind of highlights the, you know, all the different things people can do if they, you know, have that curiosity and then follow up on it. But then also, you know, to your point of like, well, it just, it kind of gets really big. Then what do I do? Well, that's what they're trying to figure out right now. Like how much outsourcing do we do? We were doing everything ourselves at first. Do we want this to be, you know, our full-time thing? Do we want to continue with our teaching career? and have this be on the side, but it's a good place to be in, right? It's a great place to be in, but don't you wanna be in the situation where you can make those kinds of, of choices? And don't you wanna be in the situation where if you do continue with the, you know, the day job, the traditional career, you're doing that because you want to, not because you have to, which is a huge, huge difference, huge difference in mindset. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, because I think a lot of the traditional view of being financially free or financially secure is you've got X dollars in the bank. Uh -huh. Right. But this is, this is kind of taking a different lens on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got, yeah. X dollars in the bank is, is one thing. This is more like I've got options. I've got, you know, dollars coming in from more than one source basically. And I, I really have noticed that when people do this for the first time, it feels disproportionately good. You know, somebody can have like a good income for their job. They start this project. They're making $500 a month, $1,000 a month, whatever it is. That money feels like a lot more. That because they made it themselves, because they woke up in the morning and they had a PayPal payment or Venmo or whatever it is. And they see that a stranger, you know, some stranger out there on the internet has actually given me money and it appears to not be fraudulent. You know, it's actually <laughs> real money that's going to go to my bank account. Uh, like I'm on tour and I'm asking people at all the events, you know, you know, do you have a side hustle? And usually about half the people in the room or so will raise their hand. And sometimes I ask, you know, those of you that, that have this project, do you remember the first time you got paid? probably about half of those people will raise their hands. Mm. So like 50% of people clearly remember the first time they got that payment. 
And it's almost like their eyes light up and people have, some of people have stories about it and celebrated and like ran around the house or, you know, called their friends or their family. So that's why I feel like um, the empowerment aspect of this is, is so key and so critical because a lot of these people never imagined that they could have a business and never even wanted a business necessarily. They thought that was just a totally different world. And maybe they watched Shark Tank, you know, which is entertaining and interesting on some levels, but it's all about you know, outside investors. It's all about investors validating people and saying, okay, you know, your idea is good enough for me to give you money. Now, therefore you can proceed. Whereas everybody I feature, you know, again, is not starting with those advantages. It's just starting with whatever they have and finding a way to succeed on their own. Yeah. And it's like a form of, it sounds like not just validation of the idea, Mm -hmm. not just validation of, yes, maybe I can actually make money doing this other thing, but to a certain extent, almost validation of a part of them that yeah, hasn't been absolutely, expressed. Absolutely. It's validation of the person for sure. It is something deeper. Like I said, it's something deeper than just, than just the money. And that's why I noticed, you know, early on people were connecting with it, I think because of that. And because I'm trying to highlight stories of people who are just like regular people across America or across the world, um, you know, who don't have this background in business, you know, and we've 890 episodes so far of Side Hustle School. Maybe I featured like three people that had an MBA, you know, and in each example, it's usually like they had to unlearn everything that they learned <laughs> in graduate school to actually start their it back down. Yeah. Right, right. You know, or somebody, there's a lot, I've probably had a dozen stories of somebody who's like, so they had this idea and they're like, what's the next step? The next step is I need to go to business school. And so they begin that process, you know, and, and start applying or whatever. And eventually they realize they're going to do better, you know, on their, they're going to acquire whatever, whatever experience and learning they need to have. It's not to say they don't need anything, but whatever that is, they can probably acquire it in another way uh, yeah. for a lot less money and a lot less time. I mean, it kind of makes me curious also zooming the lens out with you and Side Hustle School. So I remember when you were starting this, you know, we've been friends a long time now mm-hmm. and we're, you're two and two and a half years into this. It was at 800, almost 900. Yeah, 900, just about, uh, just under 900 right now. Right. When you were coming into it, I don't, I don't even know if you can answer this question. Like, sure. Did you think in your mind, yeah, it'll be no problem finding like 900 stories. Oh, like no, I, I, I was worried. <laughs> I was really worried. Uh, well, first of all, I didn't make a commitment for 900, but I made a commitment for the first year. Yeah. I did make a commitment for, th- for 365. And um, it's really funny that first year, I think some people thought I had like every episode planned out or something in advance. And I had... Um, maybe seven episodes ready to go when we launched on, on January 1, 2017. I thought we were talking. Yeah, I thought I know, you had like more a, than that. I think no, you had a month at least. No, well, I maybe had like 10 more identified. Of yeah. like, okay, these are the people that I'm going to feature, but the episodes certainly weren't done. And the script's written, none of that. And so my hope was we're going to launch this thing and it's going to bring in a lot of stories. Um, but I didn't really know. You know, I was like, what, what is going to happen if, if we get to like day 17? And I'm like, actually, that's it, everybody. You know, I ran out of stories. Um, and then the first year it was, um, especially the first like three to six months, there were some like touch and go moments and we weren't really working ahead very far. And, you know, there were a couple of days where it's like, you know, okay, we got today's episode. I think we have to, what's the day after? We, we don't know what the day after is. And that's, you know, kind of stressful, but, it's like but anyway, I need to start my own side hustle. Yeah, so exactly. yeah, that's great. That's great. yeah. Today's story, everybody is I decided to go back to you know day seven and, uh, you know, try to replicate the process. Um, so yeah, so we got to the end of, of the first year and, um, it seemed that people wanted to keep, keep going. And so, yeah, I had no idea we'd get to this point, but there, but what, what also surprises me is we're not really repeating that much. Hmm. I mean, you know, we, we do try to be mindful of like, okay, if we're featuring the story that's kind of like something else, then there's going to be a different takeaway. We're going to pull a different lessons from it. 
But I'm still surprised that on any given week, there's probably three or four things that I have never heard about before, or that we've certainly never talked about, you know, that somebody has figured out how to make money. So that's interesting to me. I'm like, I'm learning through the process. My greatest challenge is I want to start all these projects myself. Yeah. You know, like probably about, like I said, about once a week, uh, maybe, oh, maybe on this case, it's like once or twice a month, but there is uh, something that I'm working on and learning about. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. I start researching. I spent about 10 minutes, you know, and I'm like, Chris, there's, there's no, you, you can't, you don't have time to sell t-shirts on Amazon. You know, you don't have time to, to whatever this thing is. Just don't do it. Right. There are enough grilled cheese, food cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, right. it's Let somebody good. else have yeah, that idea. Right. You know, I actually had an episode recently where I was like, oh, I really want to do this, but I can't. So if you're out there and you've got time to take my idea, you know, go for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so interesting too, though, because I, there have been so many times where I think a lot of people feel like they have all these great ideas. Um, but they don't necessarily want to do the work to run with them, but they love to see them in the world. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I wonder if a side hustle could be coming up with ideas for side hustles. Well, I guess that's your side hustle. Yeah. Well, that's your funny, main actually. Job. So people ask that question. And I think most people are kind of looking for a way out and asking that question. I think most people are like, I'm not really good at you know doing anything, but I've got all kinds of ideas. Ideas don't really have much value yeah. on their own. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like ideas, you know, it's all about the execution and the implementation. Yeah. We so, all have ideas. Right. Exactly. Um, so now you actually have to go out and do the work. Yeah. Because I th- how many times have, have, have you or have our listeners like woken up or walked down the street and been like, seen something that's yeah, for sale? And you're exactly. like, oh, I had that idea five years right. ago and I never did anything right. with it. Yeah. And somebody just decided to run with it. Right. So that's why you also shouldn't be too protective of your idea. If you've got an idea, people are often worried about, you know, sharing their idea or something or competition. And it's like, it's a lot of work. If you've had a successful project, it's usually a lot of work to make it happen. You know, you've got a head start. You put all the, the, the time into it and the discovery process and everything. So it's not, not like somebody's going to come along and steal that. They can't Yeah, in the I, same way. No, I totally agree. I think that's one of the questions that uh, a lot of people ask is, well, before I do the 30 days to run this experiment, don't I need to talk to an mm-hmm. IP lawyer and should I protect yeah. this? And, should, and you know, of course, you know, neither of us are lawyers. Well, <laughs> I'm not practicing for a long time now. So we can't, this is not legal advice. Sure. But yeah, I think what you're saying is really is, is poignant because So many people just stop at that point because they're like, wow, I don't want to deal with the hassle of doing this. I don't know Mm -hmm. how to do it. That actually starts to make me spend a lot more money just to take care and make sure. And you get freaked out that somebody's going to steal your thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm reminded by people I know who are venture capitalists or seed investors and they get pitched a million ideas all the time. And people will often ask them to sign non-disclosure agreements and nobody will ever sign them because they've been pitched that same idea so many other times that they don't want to. You know, they, they have only liability. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like very few ideas, I think, are truly unique. Yep. You know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm, I would say also like, yeah, once a, once a month or something out of like, you know, the 25 stories, we have like a weekly recap. So that's one of the episodes each week. So out of 25, probably one of them, I think, is truly, truly unique. Mm. You know, uh, I had a story that I'm working on now about uh, this woman who really liked candles and she had like relocated from Florida to Ohio and um, was getting like a mild seasonal depression in the winters there. And so went out and did some research about stuff and really liked having candles in her house, among other things. Uh, but she was just concerned about the sustainability of it. And had all these like, you know, unused candle containers or used candle containers that she couldn't do anything with uh, when she was done with them. Short version is she made a, see if I can describe this properly. It's a um, candle that comes in a container where the label of the container uh, includes before. And I was like, I think that's pretty, maybe somebody else has done it that way, but that to me sounds pretty unique. That's one out of 25. 
Yeah. You know, the other 24 are interesting. Like they probably got their own twist on it. Might be different than something else in some ways, but it's not completely unique. And that's fine. Like you don't have to have a, you don't have to come up with an idea like that uh, to be successful. In fact, in some ways it can be hard to be successful with that kind of approach because you have to, you have to, you know, educate your market. You have to show people like, hey, you never thought about this thing before, but you actually need it. Uh, whereas if you're providing something where people are like, oh yeah, I need that. I know I need that. That's easier. Yeah. It's like blue ocean versus red ocean. Right. It's like you're literally, it's a lot harder to actually break into that because mm-hmm. of what you just said, a lot of times you have to educate the market that this, you, you even need this, let alone the mm-hmm. fact that it exists. But once you do that, you kind of become the solitary player in this space. And eventually people will notice what's happening and catch up. But it's like you, you own that domain for a mm-hmm. window of time. Right. Um, you kind of own the, the realm of possibility as mm-hmm. well. It's scarier. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the other thing that popped into my mind as you were saying that though, the other fear, and I'm wondering if people have brought this up to you also, is that, so like that example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have people come to you and said, well, okay, so, but what happens if, and this is kind of building on the IP thing, but it's a little bit different, I think. So I go and I do my 30 day experiment, mm-hmm. right? And this idea, boom, it's like clear as day. It's it's new, it's cool, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of demand for it. It's actually getting a whole bunch of attention that I never even thought it would be getting. But I've now just proven viability for something that a big player who's like got all the resources can easily like take a, a half a step to the left, replicate and scale massively, and then I'm gone. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know? <laughs> Like maybe there's some scenario where that actually happens, yeah. but I feel like people's fears of those things happening are far greater than what the actual reality is. You know, most big companies are not in a position to come in and take an idea. Like most big companies have, have plenty of stuff that they're doing, you know, and you're not actually going to, you know, really even be competing against big companies when you're starting. You're, you're just kind of putting something out in the world. So for anything where there's demand, where you prove viability, like I would say, just focus on that, you know? Yeah. I almost wonder whether also part of the antidote to that is the fact that you are one human being just doing something out of a blend Mm -hmm. of, you know, like deep interest and curiosity Mm -hmm. out of your own pocket on the side is part of the story that makes people want it. Not just because it's something cool, but you know, your origin story is Uh part of the product to a certain extent. And that's what people are buying as well. No, for sure. I think that's why it's actually so important just a very practical step is, you know, with your side also with your website, you know, include a picture of yourself, have an about page. It's really clear. Why did you start this product or this service? You know, like the teachers with the tote bags, you know, that's a really clear origin story. Everybody kind of connects to it. They're like, oh, it's great. Te- of course, teachers would know what it, what needs to be in a tote bag. And, you know, if you if you know a teacher in your life, you're like, oh, I want to get that for them as a, as a present. What was the other story? You know, like the candle thing, like on their website, it's like they have this, This it's a couple. So they have a picture of them. They tell the story of like moving from Florida to Ohio and the discovery process and how they were concerned about the environmental impact. And they found this solution. You know, so it, it very much telling your story is really important. Whenever I encounter um, like a side hustle with, they've got a great idea, but they haven't thought to do that. That's always like one of my first suggestions. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because I reflect back to you when you were starting Sort of like in the in, in the you know, like blogging slash public space, like right. what a decade ago at this yeah. point, right? And it was all about your story. Like you were mm-hmm. on this, you know, like ten year adventure mm-hmm. um, to visit every every country um, in the world. 
and people just wanted to ride along with that story. Like yeah. they wanted, it was almost like living vicariously through you uh-huh. during that whole journey. Yeah, and it was interesting because, and also people would sometimes say, I want to come and travel with you. And, but they really didn't, you know, they wanted, they had an image of what that was like, you know, I want to come and travel with you. And I was like, well, it's pretty boring, actually. A lot of what I do, a lot of what I do is like waiting around. I'm like on the bus for hours and hours, you know, like whatever. But they, they kind of in their minds, they, they imagine this like Indiana Jones kind of, you know, lifestyle experience in, in every country. So I think that's part of it. And I didn't really cultivate that. Like I tried to be really like, here's how it works, but people kind of imagine what they, they want to imagine. Yeah. Let's talk about it. And one of the interesting things is, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I literally have your book in my hand as I'm, I'm speaking. This is gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thanks. I can't I mean, take all the credit for that. This was a, the, more than any other book I've done. Um, this is very, very much, you know, a team effort. So we work with writers on the show, um, you know, to draft all the scripts and, you know, they're credited there. We had 15 photographers all across the country, you know, to go and do these photo shoots. Uh, worked with a publisher that's very design forward. Um, which was part of the process, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to convince most publishers to take on this book because the printing is expensive, the production and you know, quality is high and difficult. Um, so I got to give credit to them. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here and, and for those who haven't seen the book yet, it's, um, I don't know, what's the kind of binding? I'm, I'm seeing more and more of these books out these days where there's no dust cover on it. Um, yeah, there's a term for that. I forget what yeah, it is. Yeah, I can't remember really. And it's, you know, it's like this beautiful multicolor inside with full color images. It's more like a, I feel like it's a it's a reference book almost. Yeah, um, it's a cookbook was the inspiration for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I want to do a side hustle cookbook. If you imagine a cookbook, I want recipes and photos and stories, and I want there to be a lot of them, you know. And so that's why, like, one hundred that that idea came came up, and uh, it was really funny. To, to, I mean, this is like a little bit of a side note, but when I went to my publisher um, to talk to them about doing the book, you know, the, the, the first publisher that I talked to, at least um, the one that I've worked with before. I was like, I've got this vision, you know, I want to do like a cookbook, right? And I want it to be like full color throughout with all these, you know, photographs. And and they like came back and they're like, that sounds great, but can you do it in black and white with no photographs, you know, and not very visual, et cetera. And so obviously there's a bit of a process there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm amazed that this thing uh, exists in the form that it's because I, I know the industry also. And yeah, I, yeah. Like, I can't imagine being a fly in the wall. We, love the, we like, love the color book, but just in black and white. And right. we love the idea of photos, but not actually in the book. Right. I've had this conversation where like, we love the concept and we love your writing and we're like, we're totally behind this. We just need you to completely change what it's uh-huh. about and how uh-huh. you're going to do it. Yes. Other than that, it's a go. <laughs> yeah. We, we literally had probably several, three or four publishers say to my literary agent, oh, we really like Chris. We really like Chris. We want to do a book with Chris, but not this one, basically. <laughs> and they're like, you know, they even asked him, does, does Chris have another one? Like I have another book in my pocket. Like, oh, sure. That was his, that was his, that was the book in his right pocket. But let me look and see, here's another right. book for you. You know, doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. It's like, we'll do the next one where it's a paperback right. and black and white uh-huh. and really low risk. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, going along with the cookbook idea you know, one of the things I thought was really cool about the book, and maybe this, I think this would, would potentially be useful for our, for our listeners, is that you have, you, you sort of, um, I guess over like such a vast number of case studies, you've seen common themes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like you've broken it into, yeah. you know, it's like your desserts, your entrees, like your, yep, yep. there seem to be certain, you know, like a set of different common mm-hmm. categories that people um, create these side hustles in. I thought maybe we touch down to some of those categories and share some of the stories in each Sounds one of great. them. And I guess, you know, I was thinking, do we just go this in a linear way? But actually my curiosity is, while you kind of feature them evenly, um, 
Do you see, is there one where you see a, a, a lot more people tend to sort of mine that category? Oh, interesting, interesting in terms of the categories. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, some of the buckets are like, you know, uh, this is a service-based business. This is a product-based business. Here's like, you know, a digital business or an app. You know, if you're a coder, if you're into that, there's a whole category. If you really want to do something that's like social good, you know, while making money for yourself. So I'm not sure there's there's one category necessarily, but I would say probably the easiest one to get started with is reselling. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're like, I, I don't know what my side hustle should be, the simplest thing you can do if you need to make money right now is to find a way to buy something and then resell it. So I don't know if that's necessarily like the one people are most interested in, but I'd say it's the most accessible. Yeah. I mean, because the minute I hear that come out of your mouth, I'm like, that's not sexy. <laughs> no, it's not. But, it's not but, but, but maybe it is for some people. And maybe maybe it's the thing sure, that sure. you're reselling that makes it sexy or interesting to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, does your side hustle have to be sexy? Well, I, so that's an interesting question, right? Mm-hmm. Does it? Listen, when I got started, you know, 20 years ago now, 21 years ago, I was I was 19 and I learned about reselling and I, it was the coolest thing in the world when I learned about it because I was like, I can't believe that I can like buy something and then resell it for a, like a higher price. And I'm learning about everything, copywriting and like taking photos and shipping logistics. Maybe it sounds boring, but at the time to me, it represented freedom. It represented like this is my escape path, you know, from the job that I had at the time, which was paying like minimum wage while I was in, in school. You know, I went from making $8 an hour at that to making like $15 an hour buying and reselling things without knowing anything, without you know, having any skill in it at all. So, you know, maybe in, in some ways it's not sexy, but, you know, freedom is pretty attractive. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the opportunities that came from that so much, you know, so much uh, led from that. But if you don't like that one, there's other, you know, other categories. Yeah, but I think it's a really important point though, right? Because because maybe the thing that's that's sexy is what it gives you or yeah. what, like the feeling right. that it gets you or the possibility that it gives you mm-hmm. rather than the actual pursuit. And then maybe, then uh, almost like, well, what could you then make the day-to-day process sexy by trying to say, okay, so like, it's pretty cool to just learn anything new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, focus yeah, on sure. that. Focus sure, on sure. sort of like the curiosity side of it, no matter what the, you know, quote, content part of it is. Yeah, I mean, so those early days when I was like packing stuff up and taking like 20 boxes to the post office, it's like, now I don't want to do that for sure. But then it was it was the most exciting thing in the world. It's like, these people are like, you know, buying stuff from me on eBay or, or whatever the platform is and like, I get their money and then I go and like ship it off to them and they leave a positive review, you know, five stars really like this. It was just fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Do you remember going in and dropping off the packages? Like, was there ever a point where the person behind the desk sees you coming back over and over? They're like, who are you and what are you doing? Yeah. Actually, there was one time when I needed to get a lot of money orders and I needed like $1,500 in money orders, but they were like $20 each or something. So it was a long process and they had some questions about it. They're like, you know, is this money laundering or some situation or... Yeah. I mean, when I kept dropping off packages all the time, because it wasn't as common back then. I mean, now I'd say like nobody asked that question, you know, but it wasn't as common when I was doing it. Yeah. So under the reselling bucket, Mm -hmm. um, what is, is there, I mean, what's an interesting story um, that maybe sort of our listeners would relate to? Wow. I mean, like I got some unusual ones, you know, I mean, like, and that's also part of the kind of DNA of the show in terms of trying to tell stories that, that are just really quirky or different or whatever. So there's this guy who's, um, you know, drop shipping live crickets and he's selling them to reptile owners. So when I say drop shipping, I mean, he's not actually handling any of the inventory himself. He's taking in these orders and he passes the orders to a cricket farm and they mail out the crickets, you know, and he profits from this each month. 
Um, so I don't know that everybody wants to go out there and, and do that. Kind like, of did he have a love of crickets, pre-existing love of crickets? Oh, uh, he was looking for a market and um, I don't quite know how he stumbled upon it, but he realized that there are people out there buying them and like nobody was really doing it the way he was doing it. And his, I think one of his secrets was actually using USPS because all the other cricket farms only use FedEx and it got expensive or something. Yeah, it's, it's, I think part of the interesting thing about the buy, sort of like the reselling thing, or you know, like as you call it in the category in the book, like buy low, sell high, is also when you zoom the lens out, like this is how multi-billion dollar organizations make their money, but they yeah. call it, they use a fancy word, they call it arbitrage. Right, right, exactly. Right, arbitrage. and they're making like a, a tiny fraction of a cent mm -hmm. on a, a bazillion transactions, you yeah. know? And it's all about identifying market inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And then, yep. which exist all around us all Absolutely. the time, all day. And it's like, can you find those inefficiencies in some way? Absolutely. So you can go to a yard sale or a flea market and compare what you see there to what you see online, different listings and, you know, buy and sell things. So here's another example. There's, there's a, it's a family. It's actually um, a guy from Ghana, if I'm not mistaken, a Ghanaian immigrant to the U.S. who was in college and basically paid his way through college by buying and reselling textbooks. And so he studied that, you know, he studied that process, that market, and he, you know, looked to see what the most popular, you know, economics textbooks, you know, cost and are selling for and how many people are buying them, et cetera. Uh, he didn't have, I mean, he had very, very little money to start with. Basically bought, you know, three books and then resold those three books and then used the profit from that to, you know, buy five or six books. And eventually, like I said, paid his way through, through school and now he's doing something different. But that whole, that skill that he learned, you know, allowed him to, get to the next phase of life, you know, otherwise it would have been very difficult for them. Yeah. And I, it's, I love that also because it's, it's an example of sort of like a time limited mm -hmm. reason to do sure. it. Yeah. Know, yeah. Like and he, he stopped. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to be a full-time, you know, textbook reseller from, for the rest of my life, but I'm very grateful for that experience. Yeah. We had Jim Quick on the, on the show not too long ago, who, um, was sort of labeled by a teacher, the, the boy with a broken brain when he was young, oh, wow. told he couldn't learn, um, was doing, have a terrible time. And he got hip, he started to learn speed reading and meta learning mm -hmm. in just almost kind of like through happenstance. And his freshman year of college, basically on the verge of, being, of, of wanting to drop out. And he quickly kind of said, okay, this is an interesting example of a side hustle that eventually turned into his main thing. He said, okay, well, this has completely changed my life. I'm just going to throw a sign up on campus, uh -huh. you know, and for anyone who wants to show up, I'm going to teach you like these things, like yeah. these 10 things about right. speed reading or something like that. He figured, you know, like maybe five uh -huh. people would show up and um, he, you know, just got one of the common spaces in college. I, th I think like a couple hundred people showed up Amazing. and in the blink of an eye, it turned into a business that was generating tens of thousands of dollars during college. Mm -hmm. That was never supposed to be his thing. Right. You know, considering especially he was the kid with a broken brain, like who was mm -hmm. he to teach people how to actually perform at a higher wow. level. And that has now turned into a, a substantial company yeah. after college. But he was teaching it on the side throughout college. Yeah. Um, and he, so he didn't spend a lot of money to get started. He had the origin story, the boy with the broken brain. He had the curiosity, the observation, the, the sense to ask, what if, what if I could actually get paid for doing this? And then he did something about it. I mean, he actually took action and put up the flyer. Yeah. So without those things, none of that would have happened. Yeah. And, and by the way, he's also a very strong introvert who had never oh, spoken great. publicly yeah, in front of great. anybody before. Great. Good for him. So when he first showed up uh -huh. and he saw all the people there, uh -huh. he left. <laughs> he literally great. walked out. That's great. Because he was freaking out uh -huh. and he had to kind of convince himself to go back in. Wow. Wow. 
Um, and now this is what wow. he does for his living. So That's it's so really great. interesting. <laughs> so the buy, buy low, sell high, I think is sort of sure. like the low, the low threshold way to yeah. step into it. Teaching seems to also play mm -hmm. uh, a big role, sort of like teaching what you know. In the book, you feature a story you call Lifelong Girl Scout Earns Her Side Hustle. Oh badge. yeah, that's a good story. So this is a woman who you know, grew up as a Girl Scout, um, was very committed to the organization, then became a troop leader for a number of years. Uh, so for I think something like more than 20 years, up to 30 years, she's really involved in the Girl Scouts. And then um, she had a child who was a boy, and she kind of had to step back from, you know, active leadership, um, but she missed it. And so throughout all of her experience, uh, she had she had learned a lot and come up with lots of exercises and activities and was kind of a mentor and just good at facilitating different things. So she started creating these resources that other troop leaders could download from her website. You know, here's an activity, here's the best practice for this thing, you know, here's some maps, various things. And she sold them really, really affordably. It was like 3 to $5 each. You know, I remember actually making the episode on her. And I said, I think she could actually charge a little bit more and still be okay, <laughs> you know, or maybe bundle these things like a bundle of, you know, $25 for all the stuff or whatever. But even selling it at that really, really low rate, um, she's making like $3,000 a month. So she's making $3,000 a month, you know, from selling these, these Girl Scout resources. And um, she's also, she also has this, you know, knowledge and, and constant reinforcement of all these emails she gets from people who talk about how helpful it is, you know, and so she's no longer able to be a troop leader, but she's actually influencing more Girl Scouts now than she ever was before. Yeah, that's so amazing. Doing good and doing well. Um, what you just shared made me curious about something also. So you're um, a multi-time entrepreneur and founder at this point, and I know you got a lot more founding in your future <laughs> too. And so, and I know you hear a lot of ideas and you have opinions on ideas yeah. and also opinions on how you would do it. Sure. <laughs> I'm curious with, with when you have all of these conversations, you look at what people are mm -hmm. doing, just on a personal level, are you ever sort of tempted to be like, you know, like to, to flip the roles of almost being the journalist and just documenting it and saying, well, what if you did this? Or what if you tweeted it this uh -huh. way? Or what if you did that? Become more of like the advisor versus just being completely neutral and, and yeah. sharing the story. Well, I do, I do share my opinions, you know, from time to time. I mean, sometimes I'm just telling the story, but I usually do a bit of analysis. And, you know, I don't mind at all saying, you know, oh, I went to their website and I thought they did this really well and I really liked this, but I kind of wondered about this, you know, just as a, as a way to offer, you know, a little bit of a critique. And I always say like, hey, it's my two cents, you know, do with it what you will. And obviously they've been able to be successful, you know, to this degree. Um, but yeah, sometimes I will do that. Um, one of the other ones in the teaching side of things was uh, Organic chemist masters educational alchemy. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story of, um, you know, this guy who grew up and studied chemistry, wasn't really sure what he wanted to do, ended up uh, going to get a doctorate, um, had some years traveling and like just learning about life. And he started doing uh, online tutoring for a while. He started doing this really in the early days. And actually his family just didn't understand. Why would anybody pay somebody online, you know, for a tutor? Why don't you just get that from your college or whatever? And you know, he did pretty well with that. But then um, the way he was really successful was he started uh, he started writing guides, like study guides. Um, and he really focused um, not on chemistry students, but on pre-med students. Mm -hmm. So people who are going into medical school, but they had to have like this, this knowledge and pass these tests and it wasn't always easy for them. And so he found a way to make that information accessible. And uh, now his site, his, his chemistry, organic chemistry learning site is, you know, one of the top 10 in the world. And uh, he's making a really good, you know, passive income for the most part, six-figure income. 
you know, from providing those resources. Yeah. It's amazing when, when you think about like, what do I know mm-hmm. that is sort of commonplace to me, yep. but would be just super valuable for mm-hmm. people. And then also for him to say, okay, who would it be valuable to? Yeah. And at what point would it be most valuable to them? And right. can I focus on that, that person right. at that moment? Right. Yeah. It reminds me as well. There's a guy in India who was working for Microsoft, I believe. And um, he was really good at spreadsheets. And like he helped people with spreadsheets and really good at the formulas and, and all that. Um, and so he made a course, like basic Excel or something. And then he made another course. And like, basically that's what he does full time now is like he was able to quit his quit his job and just produce these courses. So he's making these like spreadsheet courses specifically for managers who have you know, these specific needs you know, in India and elsewhere around the world. So everybody's an expert at something. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that you talk about, I guess this would be considered another bucket is bringing people together. And we both have a lot of experience mm-hmm. in this yeah. in various different ways. Like you've been running this mm-hmm. incredible event, World Domination Summit um, for years now. We ran our own uh, mm-hmm. adult summer camp for five, five years. years. And um, so I think this is kind of near and dear to both of our mm-hmm. hearts, but you know, those are kind of at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's interesting to think that there, there are interesting opportunities for people, for you to be the one who in some way, shape or, or form gathers people even yeah. on a small scale or, yeah. or a local scale. Yep. I mean, there's a story about uh, this woman in San Francisco who leads hiking tours. And in the San Francisco area, there are actually all these trails. People who aren't you know, from there don't realize it. They think, oh, it's a big city, which it is a big city, but very close to the city and very accessible. There are all these trails. And so she basically is the first one who started like San Francisco urban hiking trails. And she has a day job and she does the day job, but she's kind of bringing people together on these tours you know, also really successful. Um, there's a couple of women who are doing dessert tours, like specifically focused on dessert. I think that's here in New York and they branched out somewhere else. Someone else who really focused on brunch, uh, like brunch and networking for millennials. Mm. So millennials want to go to networking events, but like, you know, the, it's, it's hard for all sorts of reasons, but they also like brunch. So you bring brunch and you have speakers together. And she's, so she's created this whole business. I think it's called Brunch Work. Yeah. And one of the things I love about that model also is that, um, especially on a smaller local scale, mm. It really is very low investment. And there are all these platforms that exist mm-hmm. already yeah. to help you exactly. sort of like take care of everything, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Meetup or mm-hmm. Eventbrite or all mm-hmm. these, whatever the platform that you use, where you don't have to build anything. You don't have to invest anything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, if there's money that you have to pay, it only happens after other people have paid you to say, to raise their hand and say, right, in. exactly. So this is a good side hustle for somebody who's a connector or somebody who, you know, is more extroverted or outgoing, you know, likes to work with groups. They've got an idea. I think it's all, it's really helpful to look when you're like, what's my side hustle going to be? It's not just like what's your interest, you know, it's it's more about what your skill is, but then also what's your personality. Yeah. I think that's something that people don't really talk about, but it's important. Yeah, I think that is, right? Um, and I think also your sense of extroversion versus introversion. Is Absolutely, part, part 100%, 100%. Yeah, it's funny because people have asked me, like, you're kind of like a, a well-known introvert how did you run this giant thing for five years? And I was like, well, A, I didn't run it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right, right, I was right. there, I was a part of it, right, but right. you know, it was, um, it was you know, a bunch of other people on our team who really took the lead with it. And mm-hmm. part of it was understanding my social orientation yeah. and then building a team that would be very forward facing yeah. who were largely raging extroverts yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, that could take care of everyone uh-huh. and, and would be filled out rather than emptied mm-hmm. out by that. So I could kind of, step in and step out and Mm -hmm. be okay in that setting. One of the other buckets I wanna make sure we touch on before we wrap is the one that came to me first because I'm a maker, (laughs) right? And this is get crafty, get paid. This is 
Um, Probably had more stories from this category than any other one. I had to kind of limit some of them. Yeah, I, I have a lot of artists. And, yeah. I bet, right? Yeah. Um, because I, I think a lot of people think about that first. They're kind mm -hmm. of like, okay, so what can I make? Mm -hmm. And then turn around and sell. Tell me more about sort of like this impulse and why you think you had more stories um, than others from that. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people, you know, are into like arts and crafts to some degree. And there's something that they they like to make, you know, as you, as you say, but there's also a disconnect because like a lot of people who are, are makers or want to be a maker really struggle with the financial side of things. Like, I don't really, you know, I don't really know, you know, how I can make money with it. So maybe it's kind of a case of like on the show, which is where like all these stories from the book come from. You know, we have a lot of artists out there. Whenever I share a story about like, here's an artist who actually makes money, <laughs> I get really good feedback on it, you know? So maybe it's a little bit of a loop there. And I think there are also some really I don't want to say easy, but some really obvious lessons that you can extract from the stories that are successful. Like all these people are selling on Etsy or trying to sell on Etsy. Yet here's a story. There's one in the back of the book about a woman who's actually built a seven figure business, like million dollar business, um, starting from selling, um, I believe it's like lamps and lighting equipment um, on Etsy. Um, so I think it's, 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 um, it's helpful to be able just to like make the connections between those things. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder also if this is, if this is like the making impulse, which very often expresses itself in, in the world of craft, mm -hmm. right? Is almost always, I think if you don't already exist in that world and see that there is potential economic viability, most people are like, oh, that's, an, that's a lovely hobby. Yeah, or maybe right, you right. just really, uh -huh. you, you can't even justify it. Like you shouldn't be spending time doing that. Mm -hmm. You have more important things to do with your life. Right. And it's like, when you actually show all of these examples mm -hmm. of people who said, well, no, like you don't, I feel like it is, it is a largely often economically devalued and repressed part of so many people. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you're mm -hmm. saying, mm, doesn't necessarily have to be. That's right. Because look at this person, look at this person and so on. Yeah. Even like the organic chemist that we were talking about, um, who, you know, it's not crafty in that way, but he had a lot of resistance, you know, from his family and friends. Um, and he, he talks about how he's really, he's really glad that he listened to his inner voice and actually just said, no, I think there could be something to this. I'm going to, I'm going to proceed. So one of my goals with, you know, this whole project is, you know, not to give permission to people because people don't need permission from me or anyone else, but to shine a spotlight, you know, on all these different regular people from different walks of life, you know, some of whom I think everybody's going to connect with, you know, you're not going to connect with all 100 people in the book, but you will connect with some. And just to kind of challenge those assumptions and challenge the assumption that you can't do this or there's no value in this or you're not good at something or the only skill that you have can be applied in, in the career that you're in. I think a lot of people are like, I'm not good at anything apart from what I do for my day job. And usually in like a three minute conversation, pretty much, you know, always uh, there's a way to, to actually uncover something that they're actually good at that could be applied in one of these projects. Yeah, and no, I love that. I mean, to a certain extent, it's like the, the show, the book, um, the continuing body of work is serving as like a, a body of evidence. Mm, you know, yeah. you have a large enough cross-section of humanity that has been able to figure out all these different ways to do it. It's like in some way, shape or form, it's like you can, any one person can find themselves in some mm -hmm. blend of other people exactly. that you're putting out there. You know, which which I think kind of starting to come full circle, like speaks to, I wonder if this is an excuse that and not an excuse, but just some like uh, talk that people have in their head, which is like, well, well, good for them. Like mm -hmm. they were in this station in life or this right. place in life right. or, or have a certain amount of, of you know, like uh, opportunity that I just don't have. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this part of what you're doing with this 
is saying it's actually not about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot, large part of what I'm doing is um, kind of challenging those objections that people have. I don't have time. Okay, well, probably like two thirds of the people in this book didn't have time either. But here's how they figured out how to do it. You know, here's how they learned to work, you know, 20 minutes a day or whatever pocket of time they had to make this happen. I don't have money. Okay, well, again, you know, 75% of the stories in the book, you know, started with a few hundred dollars or less, even lots of zero dollar startup stories. You know, I don't have a good idea. Well, we've just talked about, you know, ideas are everywhere. And you'll probably get an idea from reading the book or listening to the show. Yeah, love that. So when you think about the, the universe of, of opportunities that are out there to do this, it, it really is endless. Um, and kind of circling back to that like bit of research that we started out with, you know, if we now know that, you know, some of the most fulfilled people actually are people who have a, a decent, sustainable, mm -hmm. um, maybe even necessary yeah. mainstream sure, job sure. and they have this thing on the side and they're never going to grow into anything else. Um, mm -hmm. That can be a valid you know, like mm -hmm. um, sub, you know, significant form of earning your living and contributing to the world. And that that's actually, and it doesn't have to be a transition point, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, um, and the blended approach to doing this is mm -hmm. something that is really legit and worthy of pursuit. Yeah, it can actually be very meaningful. It can actually be something that they're not doing it just because they have to do it again, but because they want to, because they find fulfillment and joy uh, in all parts of their life. Yeah, so... Let's come full circle ourselves now. Um, I've asked you this question before, but I'm always curious because mm -hmm. whenever um, we sit down in the studio with somebody, and it's been a couple of years, mm -hmm. sometimes things change. <laughs> so, so as we sit here in this yeah. container of Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, mm. what comes up? Yeah, I remember we talked about it years ago and I'm not quite sure what I said then. I probably said something about like improving my circumstances and improving the circumstances of others. That's always been my standard question to like, what does success mean, you know, to you? I think now I might add something, like I still, I still agree with that, but I might add something about uh, being true to myself. Like a good life is, is being true to yourself in all forms. And that doesn't mean that you're self-centered. It doesn't, like when you're true to yourself, you're actually being good to others as well. Because I think part of being true to yourself is like cultivating generosity and cultivating helpfulness and understanding that our lives are made better through contribution. Um, but it ultimately comes down to like understanding who you are and um, living with that authentically. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Com, or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time. 
Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.